welcome to The Marvelous Gospel, a podcast where we examine our favorite movies through a biblical, theological, and redemptive perspective. I'm Frank Gill, and I'm here with my guy on the left, Tommy Hutchinson. What's up, man? Guy on the left, I like that. If uh, I've only run one race in my life, uh, so I can't say that I've had a lot of people say on, on your left uh, that one race was a marathon with my wife, and I never want to do that again, ever. Uh, I want to I bring up one thing from the movie about what the guy on the left joke, but before I do that, I want to introduce the other person. We have, this is, this is uh, the first time we've ever done this. A couple episodes, we had a special guest where we interviewed a uh, licensed counselor, and today we are going to have for the full episode uh, our, our very good friend, a, ca- a fellow campus pastor, effectively turning this podcast into a campus pastor podcast. We have Jacob Machowski. How are you doing, Jacob? Doing good. Good job on the last name too. Not not a lot of people oh, pronounce dude. that right, man. It's awesome. I've, it's great I've been to be practicing- here. <clears throat> I've been practicing for hours right now. Jacob Matowski. <laughs> hey, since we all work together and we all work in Epicos with campus pastors, can we just camp- cancel our can- campus pastor meeting this week and just call it a Marvel week? Are you guys well, game for this? Are we cool? <laughs> Most of it. us are here. so And eventually we're going to get our boss on the show, Anthony. So we, uh, I think we can just have a – our campus pastors meetings could be this podcast. Hey, um, I, I, I don't want to skip to the observation. Actually, no, I'll save it for the observation because I think this is really interesting about the comment about on your left. But hey, how are you guys doing? We saw all of us, each other yesterday. We all had a full uh, Sunday with church. Everybody doing good. Everyone saw the movie. I think, Jacob, did you watch this movie last night? Uh, no, I watched it Saturday night and then was totally out, out and down for the count all Sunday, catching up on sleep. Oh. But it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I watched it last night. And Tommy, you watched it like five days ago or something. Yeah, when you've got kids and uh, wife, you got to kind of schedule ahead because if I stay up late, I pay for it. But it was I was talking like I, I do know that not everybody that listens to this podcast watches the movies. And so shout out to you that are uh, listening to this and haven't watched the movies, which makes your synopsis, Frank, so much more important. And uh, you've nailed it. So I think giving us the synopsis of what's going on is, is going to help those that haven't seen it yet. I, I hope I hope it's I hope it's good. Before we dive into this movie, um, one uh, – non-Marvel related comment that we have to just discuss and get this out of the way. Uh, we all saw the Batman this past week. Uh, initial initial thoughts to people who really want our opinion on this movie. What are your initial thoughts? My gut reaction was the the most unlike it's the movie is the most unrelated to other superhero movies. And what I mean by that is you almost have to go in and not think of it as a superhero movie. It sure. is so different than any other superhero movie out there. And that's not to say it was because it was bad. It was phenomenal. Um, I would probably give it a 9 out of a 10. Uh, nice. It had too many endings. That's that's my opinion. <laughs> uh, and uh, to those of you that are listening and trying to decide, don't take your kids. Uh, that, that's what I'll say. But Jacob, I, I do know, I'm pretty sure that, I know this is a Marvel podcast, but your favorite superhero, correct me if I'm wrong, is... The Crusader, right? The Dark Knight? Oh, yes. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I have to say my favorite universe, definitely Marvel. But um, favorite superhero has to be Batman. The world's greatest detective, which I do feel that this new movie actually captured the detective prowess of Batman more than any other Batman film has ever done. And so I really did appreciate that with the new film. And I'm excited for a hopeful trilogy with this new film. It's going to be awesome. 
You know, Jacob and Tommy, I don't know if this happened to you. Um, I think because me and Tommy saw opening night and I I publicly posted my ranking really quickly, I've had probably about a half a dozen people ask me the same exact question. I want to go see it. Should I bring my kid? Or I want to go see it, uh, but my spouse is sensitive to violence. Like, what are your thoughts about it? And And it's funny. So I think because this is a – Podcast four about superheroes and Marvel, but you know, in general about movies, uh, and people want to hear our opinion on it. Uh, I know what Tommy's gonna say. I'll give my quick opinion. It so I believe the movie's PG 13, right? It's not radar. Is that correct? So it's PG 13, but you know, PG 13 in 2022 can still include a lot of stuff. So I would say it's fairly violent. Would you guys agree with me that it's on the same scale as like um uh, Daredevil violent, like it's like pretty aggressive. Maybe not necessarily gory, but it's pretty it's pretty violent. Would you say? I mean, I would say the the violence of it is uh, it hits really close to home. Like the themes that they use and like what sure. happens. Like I, I don't want to give spoilers away, but like how how like the Riddler moves and like how he does his work is like, oh, that's really realistic. That could be happening now. And that's what kind of, that's that idea of it is like really freaky and scary. For sure, um, for sure. So like viewers that are like sensitive to like, oh, that could happen in real life. Like that's what, that's what I'd caution against, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't I want my good. kid to be freaked out. <laughs> oh, I agree. And I think Frank, you actually said, because when you first said, would you compare it to Daredevil? It, first off, it's been a long time since I've watched Daredevil, so I need to go back and probably at some point well, watch them. Daredevil's pretty violent. That's why. That's why yeah. for Marvel content. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely violent. And you, I think when you said right, it's gory. Daredevil was very gory. Like there was, I, there's one scene in particular. I won't comment on it now. Where I remember watching it, and I had to straight up pause it because I was like, "Wait a second, that came Too out of much. nowhere." Yeah. yeah, and it's not. It, we're not talking about the Punisher level gory. Like that's a whole right. different category of itself. But when you said that the Batman was violent without the glory, I'm like, yeah. And I think what made this Batman movie so good, and Jacob, you referenced it, this movie was incredibly grounded. There wasn't yeah. any part of the movie that I was watching where I was like, that's unrealistic, or that's crazy, or that would never happen. I'm like, yeah, it hit, it hits really close to home. I think, didn't I lean over to you once, Frank, during the movie and go, oof, that's a trigger? Like, I said right. something to that effect while we were seeing it, because there's several scenes in there um, where if you've got some sort of trauma in your life with dealing with yeah. violence or um, even been a part of something, some traumatic, super traumatic event, this movie could be a trigger. Um, there's a few things in there. I don't want to spoil, but yeah. I mean, I, I think what's interesting, it's like, uh, I think we both kind of mentioned it. The fact that it's so grounded maybe makes it more um, intense. Like when I watch Shang-Chi and you get to the third act and they're fighting the magical dragon – and it's kind of like, okay, what am I watching? <laughs> you know, it's like, like it's pretty amazing, but like, there's nothing. Like, I do, I can't feel any of the tension or the pain because it's it's like it's like fighting. It's like when Hulk fights the uh, the big lizard guy um, in New York. It's like, yeah, he punched him, but like, I don't have a concept of anything because it's not real. But this feels very very real. And then. Uh, the other scene I think that needs to be mentioned. Everyone, everyone who asked me this question, I bring it up because you can. If you go to like IMDb or any kind of like parental ratings, it says this. There is a scene where Catwoman is changing her clothes, and she's in her underwear. And I, like, I, I, I really want to. And this is something we can have a, a greater conversation in later in Marvel because I don't know 
Marvel has been pretty good at not doing this and sexualizing their characters, except for Iron Man 2. Um, but like, oh yeah, I guess Eternals we probably have to talk about it too. But like, um, but like it was a short scene, like it was maybe a couple like 30 seconds. And Catwoman, and I think uh Jacob, you agree with this, by her nature is like a sexy character. Like they they try to write her as like a seductress sexual character. And I think in the movie we're supposed to believe that she works at a nightclub that possibly traffics women. I don't, I don't really know if that's kind of clear, but like there is a scene where you see her in her like underwear, but it's not necessarily sexual, but it's also not necessarily like modest, if that makes sense. But it was like 30 seconds. Is that a fair explanation to the full extent of like the nudity and sexuality in this movie, which I think was, I would consider is very limited if any. Yeah, I mean, that scene that you're talking about is just creepy, though. Because <laughs> it's kind of like a stalker vibe to it, you know? Which, like, that's For just sure. weird, you know? So that kind of, like, makes you even more uncomfortable than just the, yeah. the sexuality of it, you know, as well. Which I think is what is what – that's not the scenes I was referring to in my brain when I was thinking yeah. of triggers. But that could be a trigger for somebody. And that's what I'm talking about. This movie, because it's so grounded, there's pieces and bits in it um, – and I'll just be real. I think it could have ended in the coffee house. That's all I'm going to say. I don't think okay. the stuff after it was yeah. good, but yeah. So yeah. this is a Marvel podcast. We just spent yeah. the first seven minutes talking about Batman because the, if, if you are interested in seeing it, go see it. It is good. It is unlike anything you've seen. However, we just want to give fair warning. It is not your grandma's or your six-year-old's Marvel movie. Like not yeah. that I would let my seven-year-old watch a Marvel movie right now anyway, yeah. but that's another conversation for another day too. But it's yeah. uh yeah it's it's worth seeing and it's good it's it's it'll also probably win awards. It's also three hours long, so like make sure you don't drink anything right before the movie starts because you'll yeah. be going to the bathroom a lot. Yeah, he's he's talking to me who got up twice. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. dude, shameless uh, plug the the run P app is like amazing. I mean, if like for my spouse, I always have to run the timer and it lets you know what are good. Good times to go to the bathroom, and uh, they're they're pretty accurate. They're pretty accurate. What is this special movie? Can you do you spell that? Did you say R U N P E E? The Run P app. It's uh, it's, it. it's really good. It's a good nice. app. I love it. Well, let's dive into this movie. Um, we are today talking about the 2014 release of Captain America: The Winter Soldier. It was directed by the incomparable Joe and Anthony Russo. The Two of the greatest directing brothers who actually have their um, start in comedy, which we, we got to talk about that eventually, because every Joe and Anthony Russo movie stars like comedy characters from like community and other kind of sitcoms. So they're pretty great. But were Joe and Anthony Russo are the directors and it stars Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Samuel L. Jackson, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie and Robert Redford. All right, so here's the synopsis for those of you who are not allowed to watch the movie, but you want to know what it's about. Here it is. Captain America is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent working on missions as he adjusts to modern times. After the assassination attempt on a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, Captain America joins Black Widow and Falcon to expose conspiracy and corruption at the highest level within S.H.I.E.L.D., all the while fighting against an enemy Steve could never expect. So. That's the summary. How'd I do? Did I do all right? 
Yeah, I think you did well. Uh, I feel like you just need you get that little bit deeper theatrical voice, and this could be the voiceover for the like the trailer beforehand. In the world is a shit. <laughs> I feel like you're like right. No, I thought it was good. Um, yeah, I think Neil. It was one of those where I after seeing like I'm thinking forward a little bit after seeing Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I know comes way down the line, and it just yeah. was out on Marvel last year. Um, seeing the background on Falcon makes me actually appreciate that show even more because this is the first time we see Falcon in the MCU. Yeah. And so when you get to that show, like when you're when he's talking about the issues he's dealing with, he's is he maybe one of, if not the most grounded character in the MCU? I know we just talked about that with Batman, but I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm, and this is just off the top of my head. I haven't had time to think about it, but is he? I mean, I would say, I would say he's probably on the same level as... Um, Hawkeye even I mean the, Hawkeye and Black Widow and Falcon do not have superhero skills they're just so, like soldiers or, or, or mercenaries who have special set of skills I do think Falcon is unique because it never really emphasizes what his skills are except for the fact that he's just a soldier and I think and I don't want to spoil this because there, there actually could be a lot of people who haven't seen Falcon and Winter Soldier but like I think the character development in Falcon when Winter Soldier about whether he would or wouldn't do certain things to enhance himself actually speaks more to his groundedness that I actually do appreciate. Um, but like, yeah, I can't think of any other I mean, outside of maybe some of the villains. I mean, there's a lot of grounded villains in the MCU. Um, but um, but yeah, he's definitely on the same level as I would I think we're supposed to believe. If he can, if he can fight against Winter Soldier the way he did, he's supposed to be just like as grounded, uh, a, a, just a really dope soldier. Yeah, which, and, and which so, is interesting. And and saying this, those of you that are listening right now, tell us that we're wrong. There's probably one we're forgetting. We're sitting here and so focused. Like, let us know, like in the either whether it's reaching out to us because I, I, as I'm sitting here, I, I don't know. Part of me says, I, of course, I also said that the best couple. I don't even remember who I said, and I got destroyed for that one. So we should probably – I should be careful to make huge sweeping statements on this is the most grounded or whatever. I mean, I think all of the soldiers in Wakanda are also grounded. They're just good soldiers. You know what I'm saying? Like the only person in Wakanda that has superhero strength is the Black Panther. Everyone else is just like normal soldiers with maybe some some like um, advanced tech. You know the whatever. Anyway, Jacob, uh, well, do you have any observations, or Tommy, do you have any observations? Uh, I have two really short ones, but or actually, I have three, three of them. But um, I just want to hear what you guys have to say. What are your observations of the movie? Um, based on your synopsis, I felt like if you just replaced like Shield with America and some of the characters' names, it could have been a Jack Ryan film. Like I felt like yeah. it, the, the way that <laughs> Captain America: Winter Soldier captures that spy thriller kind of uh, motif is like brilliant and wonderful. Um, keeps you guessing the whole way through. I just I've always loved this film. I always had appreciation for Captain America. If if Batman's my favorite superhero, um, Captain America is a close second, um, just because I I love him as a character and just who he is um, and what he stands for. Um, but I do have to say, like just. Just watching this movie, the action is gritty, it's gnarly, it's awesome. And then Bucky's theme music, man. I mean, that that theme music is just really dope. And uh, I, I love how Henry Jackman takes – he actually took the scream from um, Captain America First Avenger when Bucky's falling off the train. 
distorts it. And like, that's where you get that eerie scream that's ringing, which you can, it just captures the tormented soul that is Bucky Barnes and how he is, you know, which is just, which is awesome. But yeah, it's just a great so film good. in that regard. <clears throat> yeah. It's it, it, the music side. You always, you talk, you talk about, that. I didn't know the scream thing. That's cool. Um, Cause I remember like uh, dissonance is one of the greatest things that actually uneasiness and dissonance is when two notes in music are right. I'm going to get super nerdy in music for a second are right next to each other and they're not meant to be played at the same time. And it kind of gives you like, it's almost like you have to like, you like hunt your shoulders go up and your head goes down like, Oh, like, like you're squirming. And so, especially if you watch movies when the villain or a villain like character is on the screen, you'll hear more dissonance because they're creating tension. Um, I know we were not talking about the Batman. The Batman did that with the Riddler insanely well. Actually, I thought after watching Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier's theme and the Riddler's, where it was this just squeal almost like thing, were very similar. But it was, yeah, and it's creating dissonance or tension. No, dude, I thought that was good. I love that you name dropped the composer. I could not do that. That was very well done. Um, but well, man, I, I yeah. come on your show. I got to do my research, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. awesome. I mean, there's I, a moment at the me. end. There's a moment at the end where you uh, where Bucky's underneath the beam. And he lays out that scream again that's very similar from Captain America, like the first, you know, first Avenger. And it's like it's the first time you hear that scream attached to Bucky that's not distorted. And that's when Cap goes to save him. He's like reminded of who he is as a person, you know, like it's, it's kind of got like, it's just it really hits you at the heart when you think about like this, these characters that are involved in this film. It's awesome. I, I, I'm ready to just let Jacob go. I mean, like, like this is great. I mean, not like leave, but like, let's, let, let's just hear it. No, it's good, man. Yeah. I got uh, a couple quick things. Like uh, one, this movie was just fun. I think you're right. The spy thriller was fun uh, from beginning to end. Uh, so I remember watching this movie years ago and thinking, are Cap and Black Widow going to be a thing? Like, cause there's this weird tension between them um, that actually part of me wonders if like, We've talked about this, I think, uh, in the uh, Thor Dark World. We said, Siv is better for Thor. And I'm like, hear me, Carter, Car Captain Carter and, and, and Captain America are supposed to be together. And I mentioned Carter intentionally. But, like, there's a part of me that's like, I don't know about this. What do you think, Frank? No, I disagree. I, I, first off, I, that was my mistake. I didn't mean to raise my hand. But, uh, but secondly, uh, I do not agree. I think, I think Marvel didn't know... I still, I, I believe wholeheartedly, Marvel didn't know what to do with Black Widow because I think they initially brought her in and thought she's going to be a sexy character, and they were like, "Oh no, that's 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 kind of like a dated trope for female uh, lead superhero actresses." So they tried to make her like a tough, like super strong character, but then they're like, "Well, we have to give her a love interest," and I feel like they forced Black Widow to be either with her, with him, or Bruce Banner, and none of them stuck. And 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 it just it just feels weird. And I actually like the fact that the well, this this is a bit of a spoiler alert. If you watch Black Widow and then Endgame, they kind of end her with no love story. And I think that's better for her um, because it's like I, I feel like sometimes we like even with uh, I'm not gonna bring up Batman again, but even with Batman, I feel like I feel like a lot of movies they have to feel like they have to throw a love story in there, either because they're trying to capture a segment of the audience that wouldn't watch it otherwise, or to give motivation that doesn't need to be there, right? And like I think Black Widow's motivation throughout the entire series, which is based on guilt and shame, is strong enough that doesn't need to bring a man into this. I think Captain America's 
uh, storyline throughout the series when it comes to to this film, uh, to, to the films. Yeah, it has evolved around his desire to see Peggy or to love Peggy, but it's always been around doing the right thing towards his country. And Bruce Banner, I have no idea why they tried to put that in there in uh, in Ultron, where they tried to put that love interest, and then they just let it die. Like they didn't, they didn't. They he comes back from Ragnarok, and and they're just like, "Hi, Bruce. Hi, hi, hi you know, hi." And it's just like really awkward. And I'm like, I don't know why they. I don't know. That's my opinion. Yeah. No, I think uh, that's fair. I think it's fair. I th- it was more of I remember watching the movie years ago, like when I first saw it for the first time, thinking that. Um, but actually, like what you're saying, I think is totally fair, um, and I think is good. Uh, I will say this: you, we talked earlier. I know you said no more Batman references, but Jacob's favorite superhero was Batman. I, I feel like we, we just, you know, we might whatever. Uh, my favorite superhero is, is Doctor Strange. Like it's my favorite one, and we got the first Stephen Strange reference. And yeah, when man. it happened, you know, uh, you guys, you know the the. Uh, meme of um leonardo dicaprio when he's pointing at the screen he's like i know him i know him i totally did that like i totally was like oh oh dr strange dr strange it was uh when they were they were when hydra was talking about all the threats and they started listing all these people and then said stephen strange which begged the question for me and i need to go look at the timeline did the dr strange movie happen after this no it happened no. before no 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 no, no. You're, sorry, you're right you're right i actually watched the video this happened that scene in their timeline, happened two years before Stephen became the Sorcerer Supreme. Um, uh, so, so, so what that either tells us is that the algorithm that uh, Hydra was using could determine that Stephen Strange was going to be a threat, either as a surgeon or that they knew something that he was going to encounter. Kind of like what the former Sorcerer Supreme knew that, like Stephen Strange was always going to be the Sorcerer Supreme, like. I, I don't know how, but that I don't think that's a necessary error as much as it's yeah. like a, a unique note to the movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was just – it was one of those like, I know him. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Like that was what my brain <laughs> went through when that scene happened. But yeah, no, that makes sense with the algorithm, what you're saying. It's good. Um, and then this is one of these like – you know, there's like small theological themes. We're not yeah. – I don't think either of us – any of the three of us are going to dive into it. But there was this Fury Kept Secrets – and I know there's this motif of trust, and we're going to dive into that in a little bit throughout the whole movie. But it did beg the question, and I don't think we're going to dive into it now. Should Christians keep secrets? Yes or no? Um, if we're supposed to live in the light, to quote DC Talk, if we're supposed to be, you know, have this idea of like we don't live in the shadows, we live in the light of Christ. Like, where do secrets play into that uh, in the matter of trust in others? But yeah, anyway, that that was just one thing. Um, and then the whole there was the motif of freedom, which we've already hit on in the past a little bit. Um, where it's like uh, Gargonzola, um, that's what I call him, but yeah, uh, Zola, he says that humanity needed to give freedom willingly for it to be subjugated. Um, Just there was some certain themes in here of that idea of how, yeah, it was just, there was a lot of stuff. There's so much in there we could dive into. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Jacob, what do you think? Well, playing on that idea of freedom, there's also the the scene like right before, um, or no, it's actually in the beginning when they're touring the gunships. And he's talking to Fury and he tells him, you're going to hold a gun to everyone's head and call that freedom. And so it's like, I think that the movie is trying to explore that theme of what is true freedom. You know, is it this kind of big brother protection over you or is it, you know, actually freedom living your life? But yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like, um, it's so amazing how much political commentary 
Marvel is giving out so early in the series in the franchise, but um and um and they're they're unashamed about it. It's pretty interesting. Um, I just have two really quick things. Oh, sorry, three quick things. One, the on your left comment, the one thing I love. It's very very subtle. So the very you guys probably may have even picked it up. So obviously, um, when Cap was running around the big pool, um, with Falcon, he kept saying on your left, and and uh, and Falcon was getting mad at it. Uh, at the very end, they're in the hospital, and Falcon is next to him, uh, just reading a book or something, while Steve is recovering in the hospital. And the first thing Steve says is "on your left," because he's on the left side of Falcon in the hospital bed. And I just thought that was like a sweet moment. I thought that was really funny. The other thing is, um, uh, long-haired and masked Bucky is my favorite Bucky. Um, I this the the new Bucky where he cuts his hair and all this stuff. Not into it. At least let the man have long hair. But with the mask on, he is. The most terrifying. He's he's a terrifying figure, and the fact that he doesn't. I mean, he already looks super tough when he has a suit on and he has the metal arm, and the Wakanda arm is pretty dope. But like, man, give the man the mask and let him grow his hair back because he looks so dope. But I think that's the part of his character arc, right, where it's like he's trying to shed the Winter Soldier because of all the heinous crimes he did. Which, oh man, he just looks so good. Okay, and then. Finally, to bring this back into it being a Christian podcast and not just a Marvel fanboy podcast, um, there is a scene at the end. So so this is all spoilers at this point. Um, Samuel Fury's character, Fury, he, uh, he doesn't fake his death, but he recovers from the injury that he sustains. Um, and But he wants it to appear that he dies. So there's a tombstone. And at the end of the movie... They're kind of all around this tombstone talking about, you know, what it's like to have Fury fake dead or whatnot. whatnot. And on the tombstone, there's a passage that says Ezekiel 25:17, which comes from, and now I'm completely blanking. What movie was he in? Pulp Fiction. Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Fiction. There's a movie in Pulp Fiction where he kind of like uh, quotes a part of this verse. And so I wrote the verse out. Ezekiel 25:17 says, and, I, and I'm quoting in the King James because there's a hundred percent chance when the movie referenced this, they're thinking of it in the King James and it's, I will, and I will execute great vengeance upon them with furious rebukes. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall lay my vengeance upon them. And so there's a conversation of revenge and vengeance in Pulp Fiction. And obviously in this movie, and I just thought that was interesting. There's a straight up Bible reference. That's not only a Bible reference, but it's also an Easter egg to a previous movie Samuel Jackson does, which is, again, there's something very masterful about Marvel where not only do they honor previous iterations of Marvel characters in their movies, but they also kind of bring in Easter eggs of previous iterations any of the actors have been in with subtle jokes and humor poking fun of previous characters. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I got from my observations. I think yeah. um, we should dive speaking into of Pulp ma- Fiction. Speaking of Pulp Fiction, don't take your kids to see that one either. Oh, uh, uh, just, uh, just, throwing, just, just throwing that out there. Uh, anyway. 100%. <laughs> Jacob, since you are our guest of honor today, uh, we would love for you to go first. Uh, what is the uh, the main main kind of thing you saw in this movie that you want us to discuss? Yeah. Um, before I jump into that, um, there's one other, like, you, you brought this up, like, when you went back to watch it, like, bringing yourself to your first time in the theater watching this, Tommy. And I remember when I first went there, I uh, 
there was all this rumor about how Chris Evans wanted to leave the Marvel franchise and wanted to That's like, right. and so like, I remember watching this thinking like Captain America's going to die. This sucks. Like <laughs> I love Captain America. And like the whole time I was thinking it was going to happen. And I'm so glad that we got him all the way to end game. But like, from here on out, from here, Civil War, you think this could be the end of Cap, you know, and he has that kind of that sacrificial um, element to him that you kind of feel throughout the whole movie. And that kind of brings me into the main gospel theme that like that I saw on display in this movie is is revolving around friendship. Um, you have this idea of Cap um, really developing the his, his friendships around him, like even like as he's growing to to trust and open up to to Natalie, uh, Natalia, and uh, Nick Fury, um, and you see this budding friendship take place between him and Falcon, right? From the very beginning, they just seem to have this this common bond of being war veterans trying to acclimate to the real world, and you see that they that when they had this shared experience, that it drew them together throughout the whole movie, um, and then that in the background is being juxtaposed by. Um, by his old friendship, um, Cap's old friendship that he had with Bucky. And how is he going to reconcile this? Like, how is he going to bring these two worlds together of this new friendship he has with the Falcon and this commonality there? But then he has a lot of shared past and experience. They fought in World War II together with him and Bucky. And, and there he's entering into this, this time in his life where he's trying to, to bring these two together. Um, and, um, yeah, there's this there's this scene at the end, um, right before the final battle, that um, you have Falcon going up to going up to Cap and saying like Bucky's just this kind of guy that I don't you can't save him right <laughs> he's the kind of guy you just gotta get rid of and, and so when you when you get to that final battle scene you think what's Cap gonna do with Bucky he's gonna have to get rid of him right um, but. But you see Cap have this idea in his in his mind that Bucky is still worth saving. And you have this idea that that Bucky is still he's still redeemable in, in a sense. And and the way that Cap goes about actually showing that Bucky is redeemable and worth saving is he gives his life over to Bucky and says, what are you going to do with it? You know, which. I think to, to me is just like the greatest like gospel gospel message there is of what Jesus did. Like Jesus comes to the end and he just he gives his life over to humanity and says, what are you going to do with them? We as humans, we, we killed Jesus and, and we crucified him. Um, and in this movie, you see that being reversed in a way. And you see how how Bucky has this shadow of a memory of, of Cap in his mind. And instead of instead of killing Cap like he's supposed to. He actually spares his life, um, but you see that self-sacrifice on display of Cap, and I feel like that's been a part of Cap's mo since the beginning. Since he jumped on that grenade um, in boot camp, he's always been the one to to self-sacrifice and to lay down his life. Um, and in, in that in that sense, he is raised up as a messiah figure in the Marvel universe because of his self-sacrifice and because of that. Um, and that really, like, that, that's what makes him a good soldier, right? <laughs> Is his willingness to be self-sacrificing and his willingness to give up his life. And and I think, oh, man, I, I don't think anyone watching that movie wants wants Bucky to kill Cap, you know? Everybody wants Cap to, like, to spare Bucky or, or Bucky to spare Cap and vice versa. And I think that's what really speaks to how, like, the story of, like, true friendship is written on our hearts, um, I, I guess the, the passage that, that really resonates with me and in my 
in my mind here is uh, John 15, 13, before Jesus, as Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he tells his disciples, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one life for his friends. And so you have that idea of Cap laying down his life for a dear friend and um, and seeing that loyalty on display. I think that's such a, such a cool gospel gospel theme and characteristic to bring think, out of the I way. What do good, you guys man. think of that? I think your, your idea, I mean, even in the movie, you've got this, there's the, um, America says this, the price of freedom is high and I'm willing to pay it. It's this idea of like Chris Evans or like, you know, uh, Captain America so desperately wants to give Bucky freedom. He's willing to pay whatever price for that. And I'm like, is that not the gospel? Like, like Christ wanted to free us from the bondage of sin, from mm. the bondage of eternal damnation. And he was willing to pay the price of death. Even at the very end when Cap, like his shield, which is his like only main weapon, he throws it to the side and says, I'm not going to fight you. He's like, you, you like, honestly, he gives Bucky the choice. What do you want to do? It's like right there in that moment. And it's what's crazy is even in what I'll call clouded Bucky form where he can't really decipher what's going on hydras in his head which there's probably a, a whole metaphor of sin there but there it, it's this idea that bucky even in his cloudedness still saved turned around and used that freedom instead of to kill captain to save him like there's this weird juxtaposition um i mean even falcon tells bucky uh talking about the winter soldier falcon says he is not the kind of guy you save he's the kind of guy you stop right that was a line in the movie so there's this whole thing of like who is worth saving and it's, it's the old adage, do you believe the gospel can save anyone? Do you really believe that? And I think that that's one of the things where if we're going to super spiritualize this, Captain did believe that the truth of freedom for Captain would save him. Or we're like, that freedom is, is good, but freedom in Christ is better. And so when we are able to experience that, that's what the gospel brings. I'm like, oh, yeah, dude. And you mentioned this, and I think it's good. The Messiah figure of Captain, this is what makes Civil War so good, is juxtaposition juxtaposed words things is the counter of that is iron man is he not willing to sacrifice himself so you have two very different ideas and in fact if i remember right i know we're going to watch civil war soon is it civil war over what they're like they're fighting over what to do with bucky i mean isn't that like one of the main themes of it to an extent yeah yeah they're talking about basically and and i know bucky is a huge piece of that and so you have this you have this messiah figure back and forth of one is willing to give freedom at the cost of whatever comes with it and the other is not and so that's what really sparks this civil war and thank god it happens because we get tom holland but anyways um it's it it, there is this idea in the messiah like there is a (laughs) counter that even marvel is letting us wrestle with of which is right and it actually makes me appreciate Winter Soldier more because yeah. um, is this the first time that we can actually empathize with the villain in Marvel so far? Um, I would say prob. I'm trying to think of all the movies we just watched. I mean, the only thing I could say is maybe a little bit of uh, of Loki. Yeah. When you understand that, like he's after the Frost Giants situation, that you're like. <laughs> but even then, though Loki's kind of a dirtbag still, so I think I think I I think it's still like I think this is the first time where like, um, if you want to consider yeah. the Winter Soldier the true villain, yeah, yeah you empathize with him because he's no. being brainwashed or whatever. Yeah, that's good. I I, I think I, I think that um, 
I think that this picture of friendship is is truly beautiful, and I think I think Jacob, you made me think about the idea of how God, like how we are to see Jesus as a friend, and I, I'm almost now personifying Captain America as a Messiah figure in the way how he relentlessly pursued um, the Winter Soldier in the sense that like I think. I think Cap would have every right to say after he realizes how he's betrayed this country and he's so far gone, Cap would have been like, okay, he's gone. I'm going to destroy this guy. Like he would be justified in doing so. And I would probably say that like, there's a certain sense that like we probably carnally would have wanted that. But the fact that Cap was so aware that this is his best friend and that he refused, even when, both um, Black Widow and Falcon said, "Don't do this. Like he's too far gone." He's he he was willing to defy them in order to um, give any attempt to save the friendship. And I think there's two beautiful scenes that really personify this kind of like friendship that um, that I would say um, goes counter to our natural instincts. One is. When when Bucky is under the uh, big beam in the ship and Captain America lifts it up, you, you can see Bucky looking at Cap like thinking, why are you doing this? Like this like this is not a part of the script, right? And then the, the other scene that I think is so beautiful is is Bucky pulling Cap out of the water and like putting him there. Like there's something like, like you said, Tommy, there's something about his programming going wrong. Where he knows he's the enemy, like 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 Bucky says, "You're not my friend, you're my mission." But then at the same time, he like does understand what's going on, so he saves him. Uh, I love how complicated Bucky is. I love how like how how messed up it is. But um, I yeah, mean, yeah, this go back to like going back a little bit nerdy too. Is that it seems like Bucky probably would have been a great functioning Winter Soldier if somebody from his past wasn't present, like it's because it's because Rogers has that link to his past. That's what really triggers him to have to come out. You know, um, if, if, you know, if, if no one from his past existed, he probably would have just gone on still killing people, you know? Um, but it seems like that link to the past and like, it's the importance of like shared experience that you have with people that really bonds your friendship and causes your friendship to be deeper where it caused Bucky yeah. and Cap's friendship to be so deep that it brought him out of this fog and out of this. And I'm honestly, I'm sitting here right now just saying that with, Black know? Widow and Winter Soldier have very similar pasts and very similar lines. When you even think forward to like, we talked about this in a past movie where Natasha oh, yeah. makes the comment, I'm just trying to clear my ledger, uh, clean my ledger. And he's like, and she's like, it's dripping in red. Is that not Captain, like Falcon and the Winter Soldier later, like the TV series? That's what Winter Soldier is doing. Uh, that's a huge piece of that where he's trying to clean his ledger. So yeah, that motif carries yeah. on. Um, I don't know if that was good. Um, I got, I got something if we're willing to jump, jump. Uh, it's not, I'm not going to spend too long on it. Cause it's, it's kind of related to what we talked about before, Let's do it. Let's but do it's it. been, it's interesting how each of these movies is bringing up a theme and then they're tracing it to the entire thing. You're starting to see this more common. And so friendship is a huge theme in this one. What is the, what is the power of friendship uh, or seeing it through a gospel lens properly? As you were talking about, Jacob is good, but there's another one like the idea of trust and faith is um, is huge in this. There was many lines throughout the entire movie that had the word trust in it. Um, you had this idea at the the uh, uh, trust or truth, as Widow will say it, is a matter of circumstance, 
Um, it's not all things. And Cap says, well, that's not a way to live. Like living without trusting people is not a way to live. And Widow goes, well, it's a good way not to die. If you don't trust anyone, it's, it's a, like there's this juxtaposition. Um, even uh, talking about um, Fury did not trust uh, Captain at the beginning because he was trying to do it. And we actually, there's a little bit, you go back to Avengers when he's got the cards out and he's using something fake to kind of get them to trust him. When he's like, Coulson died and here's your cards, Captain, and there's blood on them. And he's like, well, that wasn't, there's that. So like, this idea of trust is in there. Um, and even Captain says to Widow, it's hard to trust someone when you don't know who that person really is. Uh, there's this idea through the whole movie where even they're in, I think they're in that old, in the truck, which great ad placement, by the way, um, they're in the truck and they're driving and Captain and Widow are going back and forth and the whole conversation's about trust. She's like, I can't trust anybody. Why would I trust anyone? It, 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 and Captain's like, how could you not? If I don't know you, what, what would make me trust you? And I was like, man, is that not us with Christ? Like when we actually think about like, for, if, we, if we were to take Natasha's point of view, I don't, I don't trust anyone because I don't know you. I'm like, yeah, there's a thing there. If we don't know who Christ is, isn't it almost like we talked about this before? Isn't that like a blind faith, which we've said before in past episodes, like blind faith actually isn't what the Bible refers to when it's talking about faith. It's talking, faith is actually looking at God at work in the past through seeing scripture, the cloud of witnesses, or it's looking at it around and saying, because of who God is and his faithfulness and his character, I have trust in you. It's like, I can know you. And so we like, as Christians, we should not take Natasha's understanding of trust even towards God. Um, it's like even Psalm 56 says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Um, it, even Psalm 13 says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. This idea of trusting in who God is, is actually more of a cat perspective. Because we know who God is, we can trust him. Because we know of his character, and here comes, we finally got to the John Mark Comer, God has a name. We finally got there, Frank. We're back there again. Well, it's this running joke, Jacob, of almost every episode it comes up. Um, but that, those two verses where God says, this is who I am. It's like, like the reason we can trust God is because when you see that, he's, uh, that he has steadfast love or chesed that we've talked about in past episodes, or he's faithful or all these different things, because that carries true. So he's trustworthy. He's the same today tomorrow and, and will ever be. I mean, like that's Hebrews 13, eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so there's just this idea of trust that's rampant of us need to know it. And I think that's, we talked about it before when we talk about friendship, that's kind of the turn for Bucky. He's like, wait, I know you. Why do I know you? And actually when we get later on, when he remembers fully who captain is, it's what totally changes him. Why? Because he trusts him. He knows him. There's, there's a commonality there. And I think that um, as Christ followers, I think there's two things. One, we need to trust God. But then I'm going to ask you guys this because I'm curious your thoughts. How should we as Christians view trust with other believers and maybe also with non-believers? Like how, how should we view that? Um, I don't know if you guys put much thought to it. I'm, put, I'm, I'm off the cuffing this a little bit. So it's not like we've all had time to prepare and go there. But when you think of this, like what do you think as followers of Christ? How should we view not just trusting God, which I think is a clear indication scripture talks about, um, but also like trusting one another. How should we view that? Or what comes to mind when you hear that? I think when it comes to, I mean, I think the the true biblical godly community, there's a, there, there necessitates a place of trust. Because I think in true biblical godly community, there needs to be a place where if you come to me and tell me 
hey, I see this sin in you and I want you to grow from it. There needs to be a place of trust that I trust that you actually have my best interest in mind, that you're not trying to sabotage me or trying to, uh, I don't know, do something negative towards me. Like, like I trust you and that's why when you hold me accountable, it's because it's from a place of trust, right? Um, I think uh, I think the reason why perhaps a lot of people are not in godly community is because there's a lack of trust in other people. And because of that, that's why perhaps people don't necessarily grow in their faith because oftentimes growing in our faith is contingent to the community that we keep, the godly community that we keep. And so um, if we don't, I mean, I'll try to say this as plain as I can for everyone that's listening. If you don't have godly community that's pouring into you that you are doing life with, that's probably a sign that you are not trusting people um, and um, and you are not truly living out the type of godly life that God has called you to live because God um, requires us as Christians to live in godly community, whether that's being in a small group, whether that is having close friends that pray with you, but that is completely surrounded in trusting people and being fully known. One of the concepts I was, I, I got from this kind of similar to what both of you guys were saying from this, from this movie, that was one of my other thoughts was um, there's all this secrecy. There's all this manipulation, even where Fury was like telling Cap that Black Widow was on a separate mission and Cap struggled with the fact that they were on mission together, but she had ulterior motives. It's like the, the, the reason why Cap was insecure in that is because he felt like people were withholding stuff from him. And when you feel insecure, you are incapable of trusting others. To be in good godly community is, in a, is to be in a place where you don't feel insecure. And so that's, that begins by being able to be honest that we are both sinners in need of God's grace and being honest that when we hold each other accountable, it's because we want to see each other grow and succeed. Uh, your other question about should we be honest with non-believers or 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 um, uh, should we should we, tr- should we trust we, non-believers the same way we trust believers? Trust, yeah. I I, I think that like that's a bit of a nuanced question because I don't want to I don't want to frame non-believers as if they're some sort of like toxic venomous people who are only out to get you because the reality is all, all of us have non-believing family members who 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 we have those relationships with, right? Um, I think that we have to acknowledge the fact that maybe my non-believing friends and family members will not be able to hold me accountable for certain things that I want to be held accountable for, right? Like the conviction, the fact that all three of us had a moment of, like we had to address that scene in Batman when Catwoman changed her clothes probably seems like a waste of time for the average non-believer, they're like, what are you talking about? She's just changing her clothes. But for us, we had to have that conversation. Like, did this cross the line of putting things before my eyes that were impure? Is this something that might be triggering to my own sin? Like, those conversations are unique for believers that non-believers have. But, like, the non-believers do not have. But, like, it doesn't mean that we should, like, um, I don't think it means that relations with non-believers are, are like, inherently um, bad or um, broken because of that. Does that make sense? I, I, I don't know if I'm. Like... No, I think it does, and I, and I think honestly, even you saying it's a nuanced question, um, Jacob. I'll get your thoughts here in a second, so don't worry, we're not leaving you leaving you hanging on this. Uh, it, it's 
I think what you said is right. It, the difference between me trusting a believer is because we have the same foundation and we, our hope is in Jesus Christ. And so when we're looking to answers or we're looking to decisions or things, it's found and couched within the gospel. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to ask the question, does this decision, if I'm making a decision about whether it's career or dating or any, any decision, whether major or minor, I'm going to ask the question, will this decision lead me closer to Jesus or further away? That's where the closed conversation comes when we're talking about Batman and others. It's like when I'm talking to a person who doesn't have that same foundation, that's why like, um, it, it, does it mean that I can't be friends with them or I can't trust them? I don't think so. But I have to be extremely cautious going like, is that the person that I'm going to go and seek advice? Now, if I'm going to talk financial advice, yes, I want someone who's going to follow Jesus. But like, does that mean I can't trust someone who's a financial advisor who's not a Christ follower? No, I can trust them. They have that. But if I'm going to go to them and talk about, hey, I'm really struggling with my faith. Should I go to a non-believer? No. No. If I'm, if I'm talking about things that have decisions on, I'm making decisions in my life that are major. And I'm trying to figure out, is this the best for me, we need to have trust and faith in other Christ followers who have the same foundation. If you have a different foundation, how you look at things is going to be very different. It just, that's the major difference. When I see trust, it's like, then does that mean that you, like Frank, Jacob, you and I, we have to agree totally on every single thing theologically. I don't think so. <laughs> but do we need to have the foundation of who Jesus Christ is? Do we need to have the same majors? I'm like, yeah, we do. Um, that's another conversation for majors and minors and trying to figure out what they are. But I don't know. That's kind of like, I, I don't, I think that's kind of what you're trying to say, Frank, is understanding the foundation that we have in our difference. I don't know. What do you think, Jacob? Yeah, I, I liked, uh, I liked your piece there, Frank, about the, like in the community of the church, there should be a level of trust there and there should be a level of trust that's present. And we, I think all of us together as the church community need to work towards that and foster trust and fostering unity. And then I liked what you said as well, Tommy, about when we're looking outside of the community, like, of Jesus, like learning what to trust. We have to be more discerning on that, you know, and that's a, that's a more nuanced conversation. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you guys are, are spot on right on with all that stuff. Um, and I lost my train of thought for a second, but it, it, whatever, it'll come back. <laughs> um, well, one thing that, that like, this was a quote that came up in this idea of trust um, from Fury. He tells this story and he said that his granddad loved people, but he didn't trust them very much. And that just caused my, like, in my mind, I was like, okay, this is challenging my thinking. Like, is trust and love exclusive things? Do they have to be, like, together? Are they compatible with one another? You know? Like, so I'd like to know your guys' thoughts on that. Um, like, because I think in my mind of, like, if I'm going to be truly going to open up and love somebody, I need to trust them. But then I think about what Jesus did, like he opened up his life to a lot of people. And did he trust everybody? I don't know. Like, did he trust Judas fully? He gave him the money bag, right? But like, how did, like, how did, how did that play out in Jesus's life? Like, there's a, there's a level where he did entrust himself to a lot of people um, and they burned him for that. And I think uh, the, the Christian response to trust is like, how do we, how do we deal with it when we get burned? Because even within the church community, we can get burned, you know, when we open up ourselves and trusting people and that trust isn't repaid back in kind. And that's something that we have to be be careful of. And we have to really learn a forgiving spirit in that and learn how to embrace the gospel um, in those ways. 
Um, but yeah, I just want to, I want your thoughts on like the idea of like love and trust. Are those things compatible? Are they synonymous? What do you think? Well, if we're, if we're, if you're, you brought up Jesus and, um, one thing I love talking about Jesus, which is a good thing to do, by the way, it's really good to bring up Jesus is a great thing. Remember, there is a disciple that Jesus loved the most, and it wasn't Judas, right? It was it was John. And it does seem like Jesus himself, I don't want to use the word hierarchy, but it definitely he seems like he had different circles of relationships, even amongst his own disciples, of how he how he related to them, right? He had the 12 general in general, but then he had the three, uh, Peter, James, and John, who he was the most closest to, and then there was John who, I mean, I think we affectionately call him like the best friend of Jesus, but he was referred to as a disciple whom Jesus loved the most. And when we talk about trust, he is the one that was entrusted with caring for Jesus's own mother after he, um, um, at the cross and after he ascended, right? Um, You know, the only problem with comparing ourselves to Jesus is that it's Jesus. And so there's a level of like uh, control and sovereignty that we don't have. So for him to be able to entrust Judas with the money, despite the fact that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, there's probably like a like a 40 chess game that we aren't aware of that uh, that that only Jesus can do that we can't. But um, but I think that there is a sense. I, I'm speaking completely from the hip here, so I don't know if I have an actual theological answer for this. But I think um, love necessitates trust. But trust doesn't necessarily necessitate um, all forms of love. Does that make sense? Like, I think we are to love everyone with brotherly affection in a Christ-like love. But I think there are, uh, there's also layers to love where that there's certain types of love that we reserve for certain people. Obviously, you reserve a type of love for your wife that you don't give to anybody else. And your wife, you have a level of trust with your wife that you probably don't have with anybody else, which is good. Um, and I think that could be translated into even like platonic male to male friendship relationships. There's a level of trust that has to happen within the workplace that like we, we love and trust one another on staff at Epicos, maybe to a certain degree, that's a little bit different than we love and trust our congregants just because there's a nuance to the, to the role we're in. Right. So like, I think that, that trust is 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 necessary in order to love but the type of love that you give to people this is getting to be the most nuanced conversation we've ever had on this podcast about, about words and details i'm just realizing like what we're talking about but like i think i think um i think jesus gives us permission to not feel like we have to be best friends with everybody nor to equally love friends the same because he obviously distinguishes that between whether it's the followers he had, to his disciples, to his inner circle, to John. Jesus seems to indicate there's a distinction in those types of friendships and those relationships without giving any sort of um, kind of explanation. And therefore, I don't think whether you are a person that's like, I can have a large group of friends that I can love deeply, or you're the type of person that says, I can only maintain three really close friends, but I can have many acquaintances who I love. I think God gives you that permission, uh, or, or sorry, I think we have permission to have those type of relationships based on our personality types. But I think that like love without trust is pretty hollow. Like, or rather love without trust 
means nothing. Like, like, what does that even mean? It's. I feel like it means we, Nick Fury, we, Nick Fury, and Natasha. Like, not like yeah. just having like it's, all these like empty relationships. They really don't get close to anybody throughout the films, right? It's they're, like they're it's tra- hard. They're transaction. They're transactional, right? Like yeah. it's like you. As long as you provide for me, I will provide for you. I will say. I will say you're right. I, I just to to def- I don't. I can't speak for Fury because we actually don't know a ton about Fury even right now of like his relation. I think the closest person we've seen him with is Captain Marvel. And even then, was that's he a today. scroll throughout this whole episode? His whole movie, was he? Right? Not, yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. We're going to find out, but not yet is my guess. But the other thing is, but I would say, I would say Black Widow does have, I think she gives herself over to close, closer relationship. I would say the turning point. Her and Clint, her, right? Her and Clint and obviously her and her sister, which mm-hmm. is not really her sister, right? Yeah. And I think that like uh, you see that kind of shift in Black Widow where she's able to trust people even though that's really hard for her, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. you talk about this. And I know we want to move on too, so I don't want to get – but at one of these times where we need to talk about what is the different kinds of love because we live in an American English society where we just say love and it could mean how I love my dog how I love my cat and I don't like cats. They're very different kinds of love. It's like how I love my wife, I hope is different than how I love those dogs, how I love my brother. Like, so we use the word love. Like I love lamp to quote a movie. Um, it's like we use love interchangeably and it could mean different things. And so when we even say the thing, can I trust and love? We're one of the few languages in the world that only has one word for love. Greek had multiple, Russian has multiple. Uh, even if Spanish has multiple, like there's multiple. So like how I love my brother is different than how I love my wife, how I love. And so for us, when we use the word love, there's so many things we'll just say like, love is love is love is love. And I'm like, that's actually, if I'm going to get really, really nuanced in words and nerdy, that's an English thing because they're like, in, I'm talking about the English language because we don't have multiple words for love where others do. And so when you even ask the question, uh, to bring it up, like, can we trust and love? I'm like, well, what kind of love are we talking about? Like, because I think that there is in that, and that's a nuanced conversation. Actually, I think that's going to come up probably in Infinity War. Um, that may be one we talk about uh, because you got Thanos claiming love for someone. Um, and so we have to dive into a little bit of that uh, with the ether. I'll bring that in. Um, and so there's a little bit of what what is that? What is love actually? What's love got to do with it? Um, there's some of those kind of fun things in there, but yeah, no, I think it's a good conversation. And I think if you're listening to this, I think this is why it's incredibly important to really think through, um, when we say Christianity is not a solo man sport, it does require trust and love to some extent. Yeah. I, I, it does. And you can't deny how community plays into that. And so I would say wrestle with it and really try to figure out how, Am I loving and trusting people in the way that we should be? But yeah, good. it's good. Well, I'll uh, transition this to my my final um, big observation. This is gonna be this is turning to be the longest episode, and the last longest episode we it. had was the Hulk somehow. <laughs> um, so this is a stretch, and I, and I and I already know that you guys have an answer to this, but I bet you, I bet you, the average person listening to this. When they heard Captain America Winter Soldier, they thought, oh, that's a really cool title. <laughs> like, they just thought it was a cool name for him. And I think it might speak somewhat into the fact that um, in his lore, he was a Russian agent that the Russian, the USSR was like using to um, use him as a mercenary or whatever. 
Um, and because Russia's really cold, that's why they call him the Winter Soldier. But that's actually not why he's called the Winter Soldier. And when I did some research on this, I was blown away why he was called the Winter Soldier. So this goes back to 1776 with the Founding Fathers and it's about around the Revolutionary War. Uh, there was a man named Thomas Paine in, in, his, in his work, The American Crisis. He says this. He says, there are the times that these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier or and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of his country. But he that stands by it now deserves that the love that and thanks of men and women. So he's ultimately saying the Revolutionary War, which if you do any research about the Revolutionary War, it was a very difficult war where people were dying. A ton of our, a ton of uh, the American revolutionary soldiers were dying, and it was a, a very bitter war. And it was people were dying of malnutrition and disease and all this stuff, and so there was a lot of people who would run away from the war. And these were these were like farmhands and like not necessarily the most trained men, and and it was difficult. And so Payne was talking about how if there if you're a summer soldier that only wants to be a soldier when it's easy, they're going to fail. And we and the soldiers who don't are the ones that should be praised. So John Kerry, who is a vet was talking about what was going on in South Asia um, with the Vietnam War and stuff. And talked. To, and he, there was these investigations that he called, that they called the Winter Soldier Investigations. And the reason why they called the Winter Soldier Investigation was a play on words saying that these soldiers who fought in Vietnam saw some of the most treacherous and, like, terrible things, and, and they remained faithful. They saw all these type of atrocities, and there were, like, secret wars where women and children and innocent people were being killed that the public were not aware of. And so they would call these soldiers the Winter Soldiers. And and John Kerry wanted to, to have this hearing, this investigation, to bring light to some of these atrocities that were happened, but also to make sure that the soldiers, the vets that were coming back, were given the um, the respect that they were due. Because, as we know from history, the Vietnam War was very hotly contentious in, uh, in American history. Um, beyond that, uh, the the Winter Soldier is also kind of like a nuanced statement, talking about the uh, the uncomfortable relationship that the United States has with vets. You know whether they're not being treated well in VAs or whether not. I mean, kind of this kind of goes to what um, Falcon was doing, like he was working at a VA caring for soldiers who are coming back from war and whatnot. So Bucky was a winter soldier because he had to do unspeakable things that the public were not aware of. But ironically, and this is what we talked about, it can be argued that the real winter soldier in this movie is actually Captain America. He he has never backed down from a fight, even when it was really hard. He was faithful to the cause no matter what. But when he became aware of the questionable ethics of it all, he refused to compromise and like the Winter Soldier investigation, he wanted to see integrity from the institutions that hired him. And so here's my stretch. Thomas Paine was writing about perseverance of soldiers during some of the most brutal war scenes that were ever happening on this country. As Christians, we are going to have to persevere through some of the most brutal seasons of life. Um, to use Thomas Paine's words, we can't be summer saints or sunshine Christians. Right. Uh, uh, James one, two through four says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for, you know, that the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect 
that when you may be perfect and complete, lacking for in nothing. So there are a handful of figures in the Bible besides Jesus that I think model perseverance of faith greater than anyone else. And, and one of those is Joseph, right? Like we don't really see Joseph complain in the entire narrative of Genesis. It doesn't mean he's perfect, but he his his example, the way it's way Moses wrote Joseph's story is supposed to not only be an example to us of what perseverance and faith in the Lord looks like, but it also gives us a shadow of the type of perseverance that Jesus is going to have when he's on earth. Um, his brother sold him into slavery. He was tempted to sleep with his master's wife, but refused. And then because he refused, he was falsely accused of uh, assaulting her. And then they went to, he went to jail because of it. He he helped two fellow prisoners uh, have their dreams be interpreted. And when he did that, he asked the, so, the other soldier, the other prisoners to remember him, but he was immediately forgotten. And then two years later, he was finally remembered and had to go before Pharaoh and be very, very brave and tell Pharaoh some really, really bad news. And because of that, God blessed and God blessed Joseph and Pharaoh uh, instilled, installed him as basically the vice president of Egypt. All right. So perseverance, this is what's important. Perseverance, like God promises us, the Lord promises us that we're going to go through hard times in our faith. I think there's this lie that I think is actually rooted in a what I call a soft prosperity gospel that if you believe in Jesus, everything's going to go good for you. And that is a lie. Like, I don't know why we believe that when Jesus very bluntly multiple times in the gospel says, you will go through trials. You will go through persecution. You will go through tribulations. Um, the, the epistles over and over again talks about these trials, these persecutions, these tribulations. Like scripture is not vague about this. And what scripture promises us is not that God will remove us from those hard times, but that God will be with us in those hard times. And I don't want us to get confused based on Joseph's story because then I'll just be perpetuating more prosperity gospel that just because Joseph's story ends with him becoming the vice president and becoming the most powerful person all in all of Egypt, perseverance doesn't mean that if we hold the line long enough, we'll be rewarded. Though there is a sense of reward in heaven because we get to be with the Lord. But perseverance means that you remain faithful and trust that the Lord, despite your hard times, the Lord is going to be with you in the midst of it. And so um, I know this was a stretch. I just wanted to take the theme of the winter soldier and stretch along the lines that like these winter soldiers are soldiers who went through really hard times and remained faithful. And I think in, in the sense we need to be winter Christians who go through really difficult seasons of life and continually come out the other end as people who are stronger and more conformed to the image of Christ. And it's not easy. In fact, I would argue that the Lord often allows these hard times to go in people's lives to really demonstrate and show if they even have true faith. And that's why some of the most beautiful testimonies that we hear are those who've gone through really hard times and have remained faithful and have remained doing what is right and what is God honoring despite their circumstances. But we also at the same time hear so many stories of people saying, I used to be a Christian, but... And then they'll have some story of trial and tribulation that we can empathize how hard it is, but it just demonstrated that I want to be careful how I use these words, my next words when I say this. 
it may demonstrate that they never really believed, or it demonstrates that um, that their faith was in something other than the true gospel of of Christ that he was going to be with us. That maybe they bought into a prosperity gospel or a soft prosperity gospel that ultimately betrayed them. What do you guys think about that? What do you guys think about my my, my thoughts on that? I think being a winter Christian in Wisconsin is really easy, but that's because bad jokes. But anyways, uh, Jacob, what do you think? That's funny. I think there's a there's a theme that goes out throughout all of scripture that kind of plays along with that idea of like exile. Ever since humanity has sinned and was cast out of the garden, they have been a, they have lived a life of exile. And the whole story of Israel is continually them going into exile when they're brought into the promised land. They they make a wreck of it and they go back into exile. And I, I think another figure that doesn't have as happy of an ending but has the similar progression is Daniel in uh, in the scriptures. Who he's another dream interpreter that lives the morally grounded righteous life in the face of persecution and in the face of people that in a in a hostile context, literally hostile. He he holds the line and still remains true to worshiping and loving Yahweh, his God. And, and as a result, many things happen to him, but God still sticks with him throughout it all. And by the end of his life and his story, he's still in exile. <laughs> he's still under, you know, Babylonian rule and captivity. Or, or by that time, it's Persia, isn't it, or something? Like, I mean, he's, he's still in exile, but he still maintains that faith throughout. And I think that's a great, great testament of how we as Christians, though we are, we are elect exiles. We have been redeemed by Jesus. Like, we are, we are in his family um, but we're still in a hostile age. We're still among hostile territory, um, and we need to we need to have that that faith to push us through. And that's what that's what Joseph used. That's what Daniel used. And that's what we need to have our grounding in that in that faith. And and goes back to our trust piece we were talking about earlier. But what do you think, Tommy? No, I'd say even moving on into the New Testament too. You see that with the disciples, right? The apostles, like every single one of them, stayed steadfast. I mean, Judas aside. Uh, they they all stayed steadfast, and look how they all ended, right? They, as Jesus said, they bore their cross. They they took up their cross and followed him to the point of death. And you go through how all of them died, um, and you actually look like Frank. You mentioned um, those that walked away from the faith. Maybe it wasn't a true faith. Jesus says that was going to happen in the parable of the sower. Like that's not something that we're just saying to excuse it. It's not like he says that the thorns are going to wrangle <laughs> when life gets hard. That the seed will get pulled away. Now I think. That passage is actually talking about something else in terms of when we are spreading the gospel, not everyone's going to take it. But the truth of what you're saying, that people will have, like, Jesus even says that's true. Like, he, that's what he says. And so there is this idea of, man, um, we're, we're going to run into hard times. In fact, if you're going to be a follower of Christ and not expect hard times, you're not doing it right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to be like, there's no other blunt way to say it because it's true. If the one that we're following ran into those and was rejected and was going through pain, like why do we expect just because I'm a believer it's going to be easy? It's it's the it's the person I'm talking to who I'm just I'm just praying that God makes sure that I'm happy and healthy. I'm like, is that a is is that a wrong prayer? No. Is that the fully right prayer? I don't think so. Because I think that there's a piece to it that's like following Jesus is not going to always lead to that. Uh, and if I could put my pastor head on and just speak with two other pastors here, I think maybe part of the reason that this happens so often is is um we often want to frame the gospel as like 
like, look at all the bad stuff that happened in my life. Then I gave my life to Jesus and now life is awesome. Right. And I think that is true, but it, the, the life is awesome aspect is because we receive this new life that is, is, is from the Lord, but I don't think we always do a good job of contextualizing what that life actually means. And that new life means that like in this world, though we're not taken out of it, we're still going to experience hardships. But in this new life, I'm not defined by my hardships. I'm also not necessarily, I can have a level of contentment and even joy in the midst of my hardships. But that that's not a sexy thing to preach, right? Like it's hard, it's hard to preach that. And so we often kind of end our sentences of, when you receive the gospel, life is going to be better. And I think sometimes that gives people a hollow perspective of what gospel transformation means. And when we give a unfinished definition of what gospel transformation or gospel life looks like, people will fill in the void with incorrect thoughts, right? And so I, I would say whether to, to all of us who are pastors right now or listening to this podcast, I know there's a couple. Or those of us who are believers who have friends who are struggling with their faith, let's never forget that, like, hey, there's parables about this very topic. There's 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 scriptures not vague about this, but that the the new life, the good life given to us in Christ, it is not a life void of difficulty and hardships. It's a life where in the midst of those difficulties and hardships, not only do we can believe and trust that God is with us, but that we can have full contentment in that. And that God promises that he can give us this supernatural joy because of the Holy Spirit, a joy that makes no sense in this world. Um, I don't know. The more I, I, I get, I, the more I, I, the longer I become a pastor and the, frankly, the longer I live my Christian walk, the more I realize that there is this subtle pull towards the prosperity gospel, even if we don't call it that. And and, and if you if, if that's the first time you've ever heard that phrase, I would define the prosperity gospel as this belief that when you give your life over to Jesus, you that God owes you rewards and blessings and good health and prosperity. And the Bible doesn't seem to indicate that. The Bible does talk about prosperity and good things, but oftentimes we have taken that idea and abused it to be something that it isn't if that makes sense anyways any other final thoughts on this topic um there's a so i i watched a youtube video that's kind of like a little bit of a breakdown of the film and the guy brought out how he saw the the whole idea of captain america winter Sol or how the the winter soldier movie is kind of showing what's a good soldier and I felt like when you're talking about like winter soldier Christian ideas, like these these aspects of like how Captain America demonstrates what a good soldier is might be interesting to think about and think through. Um, and so the aspects that he brings out are a good soldier is trustworthy, avoiding violence, saves lives and no man left behind like that. Like America. Yeah. The good soldier. That's a good soldier. But I think also like as Christians and as followers of Jesus, having these ideas of being trustworthy and, and, you know, that trustworthiness like located and rooted in love and our love for Jesus, from Jesus, um, avoiding, avoiding violence, avoiding the cycle of hate and, and anger and sin, um, saving lives, be, being out there on mission and, and seeing us as, as pieces of that. And also no man left behind and like caring for the burdens of others. I think that that's also good aspects to think through when it comes to the Christian life and this idea that you're bringing out about being a winter soldier in our faith as well. Um, but that's my, that's my only final thought.
Well, it looks like we watched the same recap video too, because I saw that same video and I thought that that soldier breakdown was really, really good. Well, um, that that's all we got. I think this was a really good episode. There's one thing we, me and Tommy forgot to bring up. We were going to talk about this. Tommy hinted towards this when he talked about how the, the long scene where they were in the vehicle was a long, uh, product placement ad and one thing tommy and i noticed in that it seems like marvel got really into product placement starting in this movie because there's a lot like under armor the the that vehicle um uh the only thing that could unlock the magic thumb drive was apple <laughs> pcs couldn't do it zola couldn't do it but when they went to the apple store it unlocked it. So and, PC Master Race no more and, as I on my PC. And there is actually a little thing I learned a long time ago when it comes to um, product placements. Um, Apple is only willing to let their devices be used in movies so long as the it's only a good guy using it. So if any movie you watch where there's an iPhone or an, or an Apple device, you'll notice that the bad guy never has an Apple device. That it's ne- he's never using an iPhone. He's using some sort of like windows phone or an android of some sort um and then the good that's guys interesting. If i have to i have to look at that because i i would do apple tv plus and like everyone's got i iphones and oh. apple products and that you know i wonder if like uh in ted lasso if the bad guys have apple iphones or something but uh because that's different because it's owned by apple in that in that case but i think in general uh apple has a rule where like no villain can have an iPhone in that movie. Um, and so it just it was really funny. That whole also that scene was really weird where they were like, uh they're in disguise, but literally it's the Clark Kent effect. Like he's just wearing a backwards hat or just wearing a hat, and he's like, Oh, I guess I can't tell this six foot five gigantic man isn't Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> And then she turns around and goes, "Kiss me." It's like, what is going on right now? I, I don't know. It was there were so many things in there that was definitely like, <laughs> we need to put more money in this. Let's add a scene in the Apple Store. Oh, for sure, anyway. for sure. Well, anyways, uh, Jacob, thank you for coming on. Uh, yeah, we, man. we might have to do this again. Uh, you you brought a level of biblical literacy as well as nerddom that uh, we really really appreciate, man. I appreciate well, it. thanks. It was, a, it was a pleasure to be on. I love the podcast. Love listening to you guys. Keep it up. You're doing great work. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. And and for those of you listening, so thankful you're with us. Uh, next week is Guardians of the Galaxy. Wow. So we're jumping into outer space and beyond, to quote Buzz Lightyear. Just yeah. I'm really looking forward <laughs> to see what redeemable qualities you can get out of Guardians. This is going to be awesome. Oh, dude. <laughs> I already got a bunch of stuff. I, I can't wait. It's gonna be so good. I mean, the opening scene alone, we're gonna be talking about Christians and dancing, right? I mean, oh, should we be dancing dude. as Christians? Well, but it's true, 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 true. Yeah. Anyway, uh, well, follow us on Instagram and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next week. And as you watch these amazing movies, remember not to miss the marvelous gospel. See you next week. Bye. See ya.